Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Luke chapter 24, we'll read verses 13 to 35. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking. And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, one of them named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us, When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. So we went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Jesus died and rose again, and then what? We, we 
they have a tendency wrongly to leap forward to his ascension and his session at the right hand of God. But remember what it says in, the, in those first few verses of the book of Acts, which was the second book written by Luke. To those, the apostles, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So for a period of 40 days, Jesus is getting together with his disciples. Uh, For over a month, he appears to speak with them. There are 11 appearances noted in Scripture. And uh, the one we read of that we just read doesn't, doesn't appear in the other Gospels. Two men, only identified as, as two of them, um, except for we, we get the name, verse uh, 8, yeah, it's verse 18. Cleo is one of them. Um, these men are not apostles. They are disciples of Jesus who have been following what has been happening in Jerusalem. Um, but you see at the end, they know exactly where to go to find the apostles as if they've been along with the apostles. At the very end of this history, um, they, they go back to Jerusalem very quickly. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And so just as the women had done previously, um, so these men go and report to these incredulous apostles. They report his resurrection. As these two men ponder what has recently happened in Jerusalem Talking as they walk, Jesus, alive from death, living after bearing the wrath of God on the cross, saunters up beside them and listens to their conversation. Notice that it says, while they were talking and discussing, these two friends are and, and disciples of Christ, they, they want to think and talk about what has recently happened. They just want to get together and talk about what has happened. Ryle picks this up, and he writes, Conference, like, like talking together, conference on spiritual subjects is a most important means of grace. As iron sharpens iron, so does exchange of thoughts with brothers sharpen a believer's soul. It brings down a special blessing on all who make a practice of it. The striking words of Malachi were meant for the church in every age. And then he quotes Malachi 3, 16 and 17. Then they that feared the Lord spoke often to one another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, says the Lord, in that day when I make up my jewels. That conversing together, becoming a book of remembrance, that God looks into and then presents gifts. A means of grace, right? Just conversation among brothers and sisters. Their eyes, it says, the text says, were prevented from recognizing him. Uh, in Mark 16, we read that their eyes may have been prevented from recognizing him because he appeared in a different form. That's what it says in Mark. You remember that Mary Magdalene, as reported in John 20, had difficulty recognizing Jesus until he spoke to her. 
Um, whether or not there was some transformation of the body of Jesus Christ, some difference between his pre-resurrection appearance and his post-resurrection appearance is possible. I don't think it's a profound difference. Perhaps only the difference between a man weighed down with the sins of the world and then one victorious over sin and death. You know how somebody's countenance can change whether they're under stress or whether they're relieved. Um, but this, this was a profound change of countenance um, because of the most difficult of circumstances. And then Jesus, Jesus comes along beside these men and he inserts himself into their conversation. I, I just I love the, the, the commonality, the just normalness of this. He's working his way into it as you and I might work our way into some other conversation. What are these words you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? You know, what, are you, what are you talking about? And the response is understandable. It seems th- this man's lack of knowledge stops them in their tracks. They stop and they look sad. They're like, uh, just look at Jesus with sadness. It would be like, um, I mean, you can think of any example of, of going through something traumatic that the whole nation has seen, like, you know, the Challenger exploding, and we're all just enraptured by it, and somebody comes up to you, um, you know, did you hear that NASA sent a civilian into space? A teacher. You're like, do you, do you, you missed, you missed that? She died. Um, he says, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And this is, this is Jesus, Jesus now playing dumb. What things? <laughs> what things? You know, and, and he's, he, he is merely provoking them to speak about what has happened. He's provoking them to talk about Jesus and talk about himself. Now look at how they recount the events Um, Luke took great pains to record for us. They mention that Jesus was from Nazareth. They say that he was a prophet. They say that he was powerful, both in word and and in deed. So he spoke with authority, also performed miracles. Um, This power was recognized not just by man, but by God. It was extraordinary power. He was sentenced to death by whom? Who do, do they mention sentenced him to death? It says, by the chief priests and rulers of the Jews. Interesting how they put it. Um, interesting where they put the blame, right? Not on Pilate and the Romans, but on the religious leaders of Israel. And finally, they add that he was crucified. So all their details about Jesus are correct, and a good summary of what we've been spending many weeks looking at in the the gospel. Then comes verse 21, and you begin to understand their confusion. Right, 21, they say tragic things. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping. We were hoping that it was he who would redeem Israel. You see what they believe in that statement, don't you? They, they're saying he failed to be what we th- thought he would be. 
They see his crucifixion how? They see it not as the victory it really was, but they see it as defeat, as the tragic end of, of what they thought Jesus would do. They, expect, they, they had expected that he would redeem, reclaim, reform Israel. They had heard Jesus oppose the scribes and Pharisees with great, great zeal and passion. Jesus had called them blind guides leading the blind. And I imagine that the disciples could not have missed his anger toward those wicked rulers. And that is reflected in the fact that they placed the blame for his death firmly upon their shoulders and not on the shoulders of the Romans or on Pilate himself, who pronounced the condemnation. They recognize the battle that has been waging between Jesus and the pharisaical false prophets. Right? They had witnessed him overturning the tables of the sellers where in the temple. And they knew that his desire was to clean house, to rid the people of the, the damnable burden placed on their shoulders, to be a shepherd to those who were without shepherds. But he had died. And all they thought was lost. They go on from there and recount the last three days' activities, uh, including the report from the women about the empty tomb as if, you know, they were there when the women returned. And um, the words of the angels, it's been three days confirming Jesus' prophecy um, of three days in the grave. And some women uh, amazed them. They recounted Jesus that the women reported that angels said he was alive. And, and some, certainly Peter and John, went to check things out. But what did they see? They did not see Jesus alive. They saw an empty tomb. And so all of these apostles remained skeptical of what was said. That, you know, thus ends the report of these two grieving, heavy-hearted uh, men. They are weighed down with the burden of thinking that Jesus was not all that he said he was. That his, his mission that seemed so hopeful, so filled with power, had ended... Uh, in failure, that he too was in a sense among the false prophets. I think of the weight of that thought. Think of how hard it is for us on a much smaller scale, you know, um, when we think someone is something or some experience is going to be off the charts fun. And the reality is just like so far from it, just disappointing. Um, such seems to be the case with everything this side of the fall to a certain extent. Um, they have been with the Son of God, and in his death they, they thought everything he had said was disproven. They had been duped. What utter disappointment. I mean, the dejection that would, would I mean, the embarrassment that they would even feel. And in response to such an attitude, to such unbelief, to such a lack of understanding, Jesus, the risen Son of God, responds with his own kind of astonishment. 
Oh, foolish men. (laughs) You fools. Oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all the things that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? So these men have expressed their disappointment that things didn't pan out as they could have. And Jesus' response is that they have indeed worked out. Not merely as, as he said they would, but according, as he himself said they would, but as all the prophets had testified before him. And notice what the summary of that teaching is from the mouth of the risen Son of God. Though he puts it in the form of a question, here it is in a statement. It was necessary for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer and to enter into glory. Two things here. The Messiah was to suffer and then the Messiah was to enter into glory. Death and resurrection. Death and resurrection. Now notice that Jesus says, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Those Pharisees that had been teaching them believed in parts of the prophecies that had been spoken. Right? They believed in some of the things that had been written, but they could not or they would not believe all of it. And what had, you know, and they missed... They missed a big thing, right? They did not miss that there would be a Messiah. They knew that there was a Messiah coming, um, but they, 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 they missed the mode, they missed the method of the redeeming work of that Messiah. They missed how he was going to do it. It would be through suffering. Suffering that... It would be through suffering that the world would be redeemed. And that message had been preached already by Moses and the prophets. Think for a a moment about the writing of Moses in, in the first book, the book of Genesis. Think of God announcing the suffering of the seed of the woman to the world when, when time was even young. It's right there from the start. Genesis 3.15, Moses uh, predicts the suffering of the seed of the woman. And it says this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Speaking to the serpent of what he would do to the seed of the woman. Bruised heel. Suffering. Isaiah 53, it's very obviously written there. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Redemption comes through that suffering. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Zechariah 12, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son and they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. And think of, and think of this. Think of the fact that every slit throat of an animal 
speaks to the suffering of Jesus Christ. Every slit throat, all testify to the final sacrifice, the final atoning death that was necessary. The suffering of the Messiah is clearly written in the Old Testament scriptures, but these men, as well as the withdrawn apostles who heard Jesus speak of his death and resurrection, they think his suffering and his death is defeat. And Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes all who still believe that. Jesus rebukes all the liberal theologians today who come to such a ridiculous conclusion. They are foolish. So God has been testifying to all people everywhere that his son would suffer. First by the, he's testified by the prophets and then by Jesus Christ himself. God, after he spoke long ago in the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power when he had made purification for sins. Referencing back to those atoning sacrifices. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There is no purification. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And that would be the Messiah. And so it is undoubtedly true that the way of glory for the Messiah would come through suffering as will be the case of all of his disciples. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him, the same path of suffering leads to our glory. What sort of suffering? What sort of suffering does God call his children to? The suffering that comes from living in a fallen world, disease, for example? No. No. Not really. The suffering that comes from the consequences of our sin? No. Not at all. What kind of suffering, then, should, should the Christian expect and embrace? What kind of suffering is it? It's the suffering that comes... By being one who names the name of Jesus Christ. Right? Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And it says, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? It's the naming of Christ, the owning of Jesus that leads to suffering. And so your faith, brothers and sisters, will lead to all kinds of suffering. Your faith should lead to all kinds of suffering. Um, that is indeed why we, as brothers and sisters in Christ, must constantly be encouraging one another. Because as others exercise their faith, so comes suffering, and they get depressed. It's hard to suffer. And that's why we need the fellowship of the body, the fellowship of the church, so we can come together and say, you know how I'm suffering. 
You know, I said, I, sh- I shared something from Romans 1 around the water cooler this week. And you would not believe the reaction, and I just lost my job. But prudence, you know. <laughs> Isn't prudence always militating against faith in Jesus Christ? Prudence is wickedness. We will lose jobs because of our faith. We will lose relationships. How many people have you shared the gospel with and they never talk to you again? Has that happened to you? Yeah, I'm sure it has. You've shared your faith and they're like, I don't need this and I don't need you. We will lose relationships because of our faith. Jesus told us so. We will lose respectability because of our faith. For some of us, that's the hardest blow because we want to be respected. And yet people are going to think you're a nut. People are going to think you believe, you believe in, I mean, it's equivalent to believing in aliens to believe in Jesus. And they're going to treat you like you're a fool. We will potentially lose our lives because of our faith. And what I say is that suffering where it comes because of naming the name of Jesus Christ and living for him is our path to glory. Jesus said, as he goes, so we will go. Right? And so let's, but, but let's not leave off helping one another. What, what was it that these two men were doing? They were probably saying, they were tro- probably trying to encourage one another through this. Though dejected. And so let's not leave off helping one another, one, to build up our faith, but encourage when we exercise faith and there are hard consequences. And now continuing on, they, they finally make it to the village and Jesus <laughs> Jesus acts like he's going to go on to the next village, right? He just keeps walking. They, they turn off. They take the exit. He keeps going, right? Um it makes again. It's one of those details in the story that makes me appreciate just the 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 normal humanity of Jesus. Um, he's taught them. He's warmed their hearts, and he's acting like, "Yeah, I'm just going to move on." But he also knows that they'll invite him, and he allows them the joy. Think of this. He allows them the joy of halting his journey for their fellowship. He walks on so that they might do this. And say, no, 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 come on, stay with us. They allow, he allows them the joy. He doesn't invite himself. They invite him. They invite Jesus in to stay with them overnight. And they have a meal. So many of these appearances of Jesus, if you go back and look, so many of these appearances of Jesus after his resurrection have food in them. That sort of fellowship, remember that breakfast on the beach written about in the Gospel of John? Come and eat. You know, as Jesus has done before when feeding the multitude uh, on the, the few loaves of bread, this time he takes the bread, he blesses it, and shares it with them. Uh, strange that he would do that because it's in their home. Right, You might expect them to break the bread and share it with Jesus. But Jesus has taken his position of authority and offers them this blessing now. 
He's continuing to bless and teach them. It's at this point that their eyes are opened and they recognize him and poof, he's gone. Immediately at the point of recognizing him, he's taken away. He vanishes from their sight, breaking all the laws of matter and energy. Calvin gives this reason why Jesus left so quickly. Nor ought we to wonder that Christ, as soon as he was recognized, immediately disappeared. For it was not advantageous that they should any longer behold him, lest, as they were naturally too much addicted to the earth, they might desire again to bring him back to earthly life. So it's mercy to them, Calvin's saying. It's like if, if he had stuck around, they would have clung to him. Remember Mary. Mary falls at his feet and he says, no, no, no. I go to my God and your God. Um, he taught them that they must seek him elsewhere than in the world because the completion uh, of the new life was his ascension to heaven. Right? That He had to complete that. And so the two men quickly th- think back to when he was teaching them and breaking bread with them, how their spirits had been knit together with his, how they enjoyed that sweet fellowship, the intensity of emotion, right, that so infrequently happens to us. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? And he was explaining the scriptures to us. Have you experienced that? That burning of the heart in fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ over the word of God, thinking upon things eternal? Have you experienced that? I think all those who have the Holy Spirit have experienced that burning of the heart. Has it been when you've communed with other fans? Or has it been when you communed with those who are worshiping God and studying his word? Um, In other words, has it been affections that you derive from events or affections that you derive from the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts? Right? May God bless us with that kind of devotion to Jesus, that kind of warmth when we come together over his word to study, to learn from him, that kind of affections. Right when we give ourselves over to worship, worshiping Him. So, what do these what do these men do when their senses are released to uh, see Jesus? They do exactly as the women did, who were told by the angels that Jesus ha- uh, was alive. They get up and return to the uh, apostles, to the eleven. They speak in a similar manner. The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Um, We get the first part, right? The Lord has really risen, but he appeared to Simon? Um, All we know at this point in the story is that Simon has gone to the tomb, and we do not yet know that Jesus has appeared to him. Yet somewhere between his time at the tomb... And this moment, Peter has seen Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 confirms it. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter. Then it says to the twelve. Right, so he appears to Peter and then to the rest of the apostles. So this is 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5. Think of that. No doubt there was some encouragement to Peter that perhaps made his heart burn no longer with remorse. Right? The remorse of having denied Jesus, but now it burned with hope. And that is the and, and of course we know the scene from, from John. But it seems, but there are other apostles present with that one. It seems that Jesus appeared to Peter alone in this to encourage him. And so think of all these 11 appearances, Mary Magdalene alone, to the women, to Peter alone, to the two disciples along the road to Emmaus, to the apostles at Jerusalem without Thomas, and then to the apostles at Jerusalem with Thomas, at the Sea of Tiberias, seven disciples are fishing. It seems to be a, a disciples and apostles together. To the eleven apostles in Galilee, which is the Great Commission. And then to 500 brethren at once. That's confirmed in 1 Corinthians 15. And then to James only, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And then to all of the apostles on the Mount of Olives at what point? His ascension. All the apostles are there together at his ascension. You think about this. This is the kindness of God to allow them to see the risen Savior before his ascension. To allow them to see Jesus in his resurrected body before he ascends, but then to see that body ascend into heaven to the right hand of God, and then comes the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts. Right? The victorious king, just prior to ascending his throne, is visiting his commanders. The victorious king is visiting his commanders before he ascends the throne, his troops. He's giving them new knowledge. He's giving them new weapons. He's giving them new confidence for a new task. Right? He's, and, and, and then he gives, them, he gives them their orders. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Amen? It's glorious. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us again from your word. We thank you for the encouragement that these ordinary and yet extraordinary scenes give to us. We're reminded that Jesus, that you... Father, that the Holy Spirit will never leave us or forsake us. That you are with us, and we praise you for that. Father, I pray that we would be faithful to you, that we would uh, be good, uh, good ambassadors, good uh, proclaimers of your name. Lord, to the praise and glory of the risen King who is to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.